0: Three, two, one, go. All right, so um, this is Wade. You all know Wade. Um, Except for those who don't, this is Wade. (laughs) And Wade's going to do the teaching this morning. And um, we're going to pray for him. So please join me in a prayer for Wade. God, who is our foundation and our life and our breath, uh, we ask you to Come and uh, be ground for Wade this morning. Come up uh, through him into his heart and just uh, make a home there this morning. Come up and be in his voice. Come up and be his courage to speak your word this morning. Come up and be in his mind his mind that is uh, connected to his heart and oriented toward you. We ask for a powerful anointing for Wade this morning, that your word may be spoken. And we ask for you to open the minds and hearts and ears and eyes for all of us that we may hear your word in our midst. It is in Jesus' powerful name we pray, Amen. Amen.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, friends. Thank you. Welcome. Um, as you see on the slide, there, I'd like to start by um, acknowledging and thanking the uh, Musqueam, Squamish, and Slave with Tooth First Nations, on whose traditional unceded territory Vancouver East Side Vineyard Church meets, worships, and we hang out and play and love each other and all that sort of stuff. So. Uh, today, um, I'm supposed to preach on our gospel text of Matthew 15. This is out of the New International Reader's Version. Uh, although you've done lots and lots of reading already today, uh, will you guys help me out? and Can someone read this first slide? Thank you, someone else? Thank you, Rick. Another slide. And last slide, someone else, please.
0: Then the woman fell on her knees in front of him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the owner's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. You will be
1: given what you are asking for. And her daughter was given. Thank you, guys. All right, so there's our gospel text for this morning. My job is to teach this to you and somehow talk about generous hospitality. All I can say is, wow. So why do I get all these hard passages? Like I only preach here, what, once a year? Maybe twice? Of course, all you smarty pants in the uh, audience who went to Regent know that this is uh, the same parallel story in Mark seven twenty four. I remember last year, um, as we were going through the teaching rotation, um, I was given the story of Abraham and uh, uh, in Genesis, Abraham and Sarah are cruising through the desert and they're fearing for uh, their lives. And so Abraham gives Sarah... Uh, to be a concubine to these men because they're worried for their safety? (laughs) Yeah, that was the last time I preached. Okay, so uh, this is today's text. So um, let's start with the obvious questions and issues uh, about this text and the whole can of worms it can open up. Um, Obviously, we're talking a lot about being unclean. Um, There's this very powerful Uh, words about the blind leading the blind, as Jesus is talking about the Pharisees. Uh, Here's this Canaanite woman, cries out for mercy. He straight up ignores her. Nice, you know, Sunday school Jesus? Yeah, so this woman says, Lord, have mercy on me, and he turns his back to her and speaks to the disciples. That's not manners. Um. Then the disciples, um, as she's pleading for mercy, um, they beg Jesus to get rid of her. Jesus then responds and says, I'm sorry, I'm only sent to the people of Israel. Then we have the, you know, bread thrown to the dogs, taken out of the mouth of babes, and her response is crumbs from the table. Wow. Wow. So, and once again, uh, our sermon series is on generous hospitality. So, first reading, not too much generous hospitality in this text. Um, and uh, Dean and I talk about this whenever, um, you know, privately when we're talking about, um, because obviously we're not the pastor of this church and we preach occasionally. Um, I find preparing sermons to be very challenging, you know, because you can read, and so you should, right? I mean, because it's a really important thing to do. Um, Because you can read the text, you can read all the commentaries, thousands of people way smarter than me for hundreds of years have written volumes and volumes and volumes of stuff on everything in the Bible. So there's no shortage of resources or info, but the question is, What does God want to say to us today about this text? What do I have to say with my experience and personality? And why should you care? These are all. And how is that relevant to us at this time in our neighborhood? And so everything you read about this passage, I mean, the easy thing to do is to talk about um, the faith of this woman and her desperation and persistence. So anything that you look online or you study, this is the traditional way you're supposed to go when looking at this text. (laughs) Of course, I'm wearing a dress, so I'm not going to go that way, and there's nothing traditional about me whatsoever. Uh, So that's not today's sermon. Today's sermon, I want to focus on the fact that she was a foreigner, and that she was an outsider, uh, and that she was a Canaanite. That's the direction I want to steer this today. So then the next obvious question is exactly where is Canaan? So, um, I grew up in the evangelical church, and, you know, you hear these things all your life, and the Samaritans, and the Canaanites, and the Israelites, and it's, I think it's helpful to know exactly what we're talking about. So, here's your, here's your biblical map. Um, so, Canaan, there you go, there's Canaan. Canaan is, um, there's even a, there's a red thing, there you go. So, here we go. So, that's Canaan, you see, because they were also known as Phoenicia. So, here are the Phoenicians, right? So here's Canaan, okay? And then, you know, we have Jerusalem and present-day modern Egypt and Syria, okay? So if this is helpful, I remembered when we said Phoenicia. Did anyone read this when they were a kid? Right. So asterisks and obliques leave Gaul. Uh, is it embarrassing to admit that most of my knowledge of the ancient world, I learned from asterisks and obliques? So... Yeah, see, so this is this is Canaan. Asterix and obliques go to Phoenicia, and they discover oil—the black gold. Remember, anyone? I'm the only, me and Nate are the only people who read this book. Rick, thank you. And 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 thank you. Okay, so five of us read this book when we were kids. Phoenicia is Canaan, so this is where we're talking about. And she was from here. She probably did not run into Asterix and Obelix, seeing how they're fictional characters, but that helped me. So, the Canaanite woman. Okay, the obvious questions here. Why were the disciples trying to get rid of this woman? Um, So, verse 22, she's crying out here. She says, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. So, um... If you want to go through all that online, super smart Bible info, um, this this line, have mercy on me, in Greek is, of course, Kyrie eleison. Have mercy on me. Um, Which is important because verse 23, then the disciples are begging Jesus, send her away. She keeps crying out after her. And so that Greek word in verse 23 is apollison. So what we don't get reading this in a translation is that alliterativeness of that call and response of her desperation of her calling out Kyrie eleison and the disciples chanting back a and Curie alaison a polyson. Curie alaison a polyson. So there was one of her. There's twelve of them. And a slightly different translation, New Living Translation, puts it a lot more bluntly. They say, Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. So, this is an unsettling passage. Uh, So, they say to Jesus, Tell her to go away. My next question is exactly how loud and persistent and irritating was she? (laughs) She must have been pretty persistent, she must have been pretty loud. Because she, she outshouted twelve men, <laughs> and she was certainly persistent. So she really got underneath the disciples' skin. Like they must have been pretty ticked at her. Um, this is uh, this is also troubling because she was a foreigner. Right? She was an outsider. She was not a Jew. Um, She had some serious strikes against her. She was not part of the chosen. She was not the in crowd. Um, She was also a woman. She was alone and she was a foreigner. So let's think back about the cultural context of what we're looking at. Um, women in those cultures, in those countries, don't go anywhere alone. Even today, Uh, those of you who know me, uh, and visitors, you don't know this, I also work with a Christian youth uh, missions organization called Youth with Mission. And I have friends who are missionaries in countries in this area of the world. And even today, like if they want to go down the street to buy bread, they don't go anywhere alone because it's inappropriate. They always go with a brother. A man always goes with them. If you're married, that's your husband. If you're not, that's your family. If you don't have family, that's your improvised, borrowed brother. In those cultures, even today, I'm not talking thousands of years ago, women. Don't go anywhere alone. Guess what kind of women go places alone? Go ahead, guess. Prostitutes. Prostitutes. So uh, when were we in Morocco, Joe? The year 2000? Yeah, so Joanne and I were um, helping lead a youth with a mission outreach in Morocco in the year 2000. No, no. Thank you for asking, but not this story. Um, It's always good always good to have that check and balance that you say something that's going to go on the internet that's not going to, you know, damage someone else. Uh, so we're in Morocco. Uh, first time in North Africa. My first time in a Muslim country. Super awesome. Um, and we discovered the awesomeness of the Moroccan hammam, which is a combination uh, bathhouse uh, uh, sauna. So, because everyone 's living in these little huts it 's where you go to get clean, and there 's you know a men 's section and a women 's section, uh, much like in Japan, you know how there 's public bathing houses because not everyone has hot water in their homes and um, It was pretty awesome, so you know you go there and you know the women go in this section, the men go in this section, and the ladies had an amazing time and chatted away and in the men 's section, no one talks to each other, but nonetheless you 're sitting around in this super awesome steam sauna. It was really great so then Uh, We go back. We do our thing. We come back the next day, and the woman who was, like, taking the entrance fee into the hammam, especially to Joanna and the ladies on our team, was shocked that they were back. And we're like, well, this was great. We want to come back. And she's like, no. No, you don't come to the hammam every day. Well, what do we know? We've never been here. She's like, well, you know, you only come to the hammam if, you know, you... Awkward pause, you come once a week to the Hamam. Because if you come every day, that means that you need to come because you're dirty, because you're promiscuous, right? So even today, right, in these cultures, women don't go anywhere alone, right? Women who do that sort of thing are viewed in a very negative light. Um, And she was a foreigner right? She was from Canaan. She was not a Jew. Um, So the fact that the disciples are shouting her down, that she's ostracized, that she's looked down upon, comes down to this cultural power struggle, right? Um, That we read all throughout the Bible, the New Testaments of the Jews versus everyone. And the disciples, their worldview is being shattered by Jesus every second, which is super ironic that they're playing this, that they're the gatekeepers, right? That they're playing the gatekeepers to Jesus. They're like, you know, not this woman. She's a woman. She's alone. She's a foreigner. She's bugging us. Get rid of us. Who were the disciples? Like they were a ragtag bunch of dirty fishermen. Like they weren't the chosen, super awesome people of Israel, right? Um, they, you know, they were. <laughs> they were like us. <laughs> they were this ragtag bunch of people who didn't fit. They were fishermen. They were blue collar workers. Have you ever hung around with fishermen? Have you ever hung around with construction workers? Dean, <laughs> Rick, you know, have you spent a lot of time in those sorts of blue-collar trades? Not the most polite people in the world with the best language. These were the fishermen. And it's ironic because the previous verses um, before where we started, Jesus is, of course, talking directly to the Pharisees who were All that and a bag of chips. They had it figured out. They had their poop in a groove. They were the Jews of all Jews. They looked good, they said the right things, they followed all the rules, they had it dialed in, they walked the straight and narrow Jewish line, and Jesus says to them, you pretenders, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He said, these people honor me by what they say, but their hearts are far from me, their worship doesn't mean anything to me, they teach nothing but human rules. So Jesus was just saying this, about the Pharisees, just a few breaths before. Then this woman comes, starts bugging them. She's an outsider, maybe promiscuous, definitely not culturally acceptable. And the disciples, who really have no ground to stand on, that they're super great, that they're controlling access to Jesus, ask the Messiah to send her away. Uh, so we have this tension here of uh, of who's in, right? Who's out? Where are the boundaries of God's grace? And in this story, as I said already, um, the disciples' cultural worldview is like their little brains are just being shaken. Um. And what's going to happen, of course, as we know the Gospels, you know, then Paul's going to be sent to the Gentiles and this whole Jewish Gentile worldview is going to come crashing to the ground. That happens later in the New Testament, as we all know. But this is but this is the tension that's going on here, because for thousands of years, the Jewish people are like, this is how we worship God right? This is who's in, this is who's out. It's very clear. It's very easy. And then Jesus shows up and they, of course, as we know, expected this big, beautiful, triumphant, geopolitical king who's going to kick the Romans out. And they got this dirty carpenter from a crap village. Which underlines the beautiful tension of the entire gospel. Of the kingdom of god the first shall be last the last shall be first in order to live you must die the weak will be made strong which makes no sense whatsoever and that's the beauty um, of the gospel um, so here's some super heavy theology so my beautiful um powerpoint diagram here totally didn't work in translation um, when, you know, I had to switch it from my computer over here to our church computer. So here's the great part of today's sermon is the, um, is the art lesson. All right. So this is called improvising. So here's your amazing, super heavy theology lesson for dummies, courtesy of our friends, John and Beth, who are of course friends, uh, John and Beth, friends of Vancouver Eastside Vineyard, both of them are wicked, stupid, smart, and have lots of theology degrees and have spent tens of thousands of dollars. Their, and they taught me this. So I love this. Okay. So here's some ridiculous theology so you don't have to go to Regent because John and Beth did and a whole bunch of other times. So here we go. So here we are in the Old Testament. Okay. And this is the Spirit of God. Okay. So here we have the temple. And here we have everyone else. Oh, that's a really bad stick figure. It's hard to do this when you're holding a microphone. Okay. And uh, here's, a, here's a nice lady Or some dude wearing a kilt, you can decide. That's up to your own interpretation. Okay, so here's the Old Testament. Here's the Spirit of God. God lives in the temple. Or he lives in the Ark of the Covenant. Or he lives on the altar that you built. Okay? Here we are. The only people who get to go into the temple... Once a year are the high priests, holy of holies, okay? Stay with me. Okay, so here's the New Testament. Okay, I need to take a little bit more time to draw this well. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, New Testament. And uh, there's my hammer. And here's us. Who's this? Jesus. Do you like his halo and hammer? Because he was a carpenter, right? Huh? Huh? You like that? All right. So the spirit of God lives in Jesus. He's fully God. He's fully man. Right? So it's the temple of God, but he's now in human form. Okay? So now this gets just blown apart. Uh, I can't even spell axe. So this gets blown apart and thrown in the ninja blender in Acts 2. Because what happens in Acts 2? Where's God? God's in us. I'm having a hard time drawing the spirit. Okay, here, let's put some dudes wearing kilts and some women here too. Because we don't want to leave anyone out. This is mind blowing if you're Jewish. (laughs) This is mind blowing if you're me. (laughs) This is mind blowing if you're anyone. Because this is how the game was played for thousands of years. And there were some really clear rules about how to do it. And if you did it wrong, what happened? You died, you died instantly. You know, like you give a wrong sacrifice, boom, you're dead. You go into the Holy of Holies when you're not supposed to, boom, you're dead, right? So the fact that then God is now a person, and once again, fully, fully God, fully human, same time. People have been arguing about that for thousands of years as well, right? That's mind-blowing. And then suddenly Jesus goes, okay, I'm going to go into heaven, and now Here you have the Holy Spirit go into all the world, preach the gospel to all nations, and you carry God in you? Mind-blowing. Okay, still don't understand this, but there you go. You just saved yourself tens of thousands of dollars at Regent College. (laughs) So now that's important, because we're going to talk about this now. So... As I said, I had no idea about this sermon until like 1 p.m. yesterday. <laughs> you know, you're working, you're busy, life happens. You have three children. Sitting down to do lots of theological thinking is difficult. Way to go, you guys. Yeah, yay. My daughters. Um, it was when I understood that I wanted to focus on this woman and the fact that she was a foreigner, that this started making sense to me. What on earth happened to the world this week? Once again, w- wow. Like, it's one thing to read about that. Like, we, we, we always have this us and them idea, right? Those things happen elsewhere. Those things happen to other people. Like terrorist attack in Spain or London. Super horrible. It's a long way away. You can sort of distance yourself. This is getting a little too close. Um, And that's what I started thinking about, about this sermon. And Joanna, um, as I was discussing this with Joanna, she forwarded this blog post um, that she got, which was, so amazing. Um, and I'd really like you to read it when you have more chance. Here's uh, a shortened URL. Uh, it's also in your bulletin. Uh, it's written by this woman. Uh, her name is uh, Lisa Sharon Harper. This is a small quote. She is a African American female pastor in the States. And um Her blog post is written um, as she is going with other clergy to do uh, onto the streets of Charlottesville to do a peaceful protest. Um, And um, I read it, and it slayed me in a giant, super heavy way. And I'd like you to take some time and check it out. Um, But this this is her summary. This is the main quote. The colonizing spirit declares the self to be fully human, to have the right to steward the world, and, All else, either an asset, a burden, or an obstacle to be eliminated on the way to the self's exclusive human flourishing. So obviously that's, without reading the whole blog post, which is long, which is why we're not going to read it now, she's basically talking about the fact that the North American church is still rooted in the the spirit of colonization. And that we are still very racially divided, um, and that how we approach North American Christianity is very colonizing, is very white, um, and that the the world view is that we see the world and especially people, anyone different than us, anyone or even the same as us, anyone who has a different opinion, that they're either an asset a burden or an obstacle. And that the focus is on our self. Which every time I stand up here, I talk about individualism and blah, 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 blah. And I keep, you know, I think I just preach the same sermon every time that I stand up here, to be honest. And I notice that some of you, especially my wife, are nodding. And that's okay. Sandra nodded. Thank you, Sandra. (laughs) Yeah, that's what everyone does. Do do you do that, Dean? You sort of take one sermon and just, if it works, thank you. Thank you. It's a good one. Um, So it's nice to have a laugh to try to digest this sentence because it really convicts me of that we view like... uh, I remember my buddy Jamie at YWAM, we were talking about the ridiculousness of the corporate term human resources and just what garbage that is that people are resources that once again we need to somehow fit into a flow chart or or that they're an asset, a burden, or an obstacle to be solved. So when you come up against someone who's different than you, who has a different point of view, this is why Canadians can't talk about politics, right? Oh my goodness, right? That somehow we need to blow through this for our self-exclusive human um, flourishing, So the question I had to ask myself is, do I view, do I do this? Do I view people to be assets, burdens, or obstacles on the path to my self-fulfillment? I I think I do. Just simply because that's the way I've been programmed my entire life, right? Because I've just been taught that I'm part of this machine that must keep moving forward. And either you're helping me or you're hindering me to my own, I don't know, prosperity. That's a super heavy thought because um, cause people, we're foreigners. Who in the room is Musqueam, squamous, or Tsleil tooth? We're foreigners. We're just different foreigners. If if you're not First Nations Canadian, we know that we're foreigners, right? My grandfather came here uh, from from England. My grandmother came here from the States via Germany. If we're Canadian, we all have those stories. Uh, this would be fun. How many of you are actual immigrants to Canada that... This is your second land. Okay, there you go. We know you're foreigners. Let's move that a generation. How many of you, your parents were immigrants to this land? Yeah, okay. How many grandparents? Okay, now everyone who raised their hand, raise it again. Like, yeah, we're foreigners. It's very so. Looking back, um, thinking about Charlottesville and all the hatred and all the stupidity that's going on, in that light, this is just stupid because we're all foreigners and we weren't invited here either. Um, Have you ever been ignored or rejected or shunned or felt unwelcomed? Like, has that happened to you before? And I ask this question as a white European male, because most of you have. But I'm in the minority in this culture, or my people, the white men, who've never felt this before. Raise your hand if you're a woman. Yeah, look around the room. Um, oh, no, that's a side note there. I think, it's, I think it's really good for people like me, and by that I mean what European men, to feel like they're a minority, because it usually hasn't happened for most of our lives. Um, the other, the other thing that I learned, it took me a while in my missionary career to learn that not only white people are racist, right? Because I grew up in this small town in Alberta. I lived in a very monocultural white world. I went to a very white church. Um, in our town, there was one Asian family. they, of course, ran the Chinese restaurant. Uh, you know, all the stereotypes, you know, I grew up with all the stereotypes. And it wasn't until I became, until I joined Youth With A Mission. And you kind, of, you kind of live with a certain level of white guilt, right? Like everything bad that's happened in the world is because white people have screwed up. Which a lot of problems that have happened in the world is because white people have screwed up, right? I'm not arguing that fact. But... It was when I went to Guyana, which of course is in South America. Do you know where Brazil is? Like here's Brazil. There's the big hump. Brazil's there. Guyana's right above there. Guyana has this horrible history of slavery as does a lot of the world. And so Guyana to this day is really screwed up because when all the um, African slaves were freed, guess what they did? You guys went with me to Guyana. Oh. Yeah, so Matt and Sandra went with me to Guyana way back in the day in Youth with mission. Sorry, that's right. a happy memory. So um all these black slaves in Guyana get freed. They're like, hey, guess what guys? Chains are broken, you're no longer slaves. Guess what they did? Turn around, they're like, you know what we need? We need some slaves. Cause Man, that really sucks. So they shipped off to India, and they got themselves a whole bunch of Indian slaves, and it's just a big, giant mess. Um... you guys have heard me talk a lot about my trips to Cambodia. There's such deep set racism in Cambodia between the Cambodians and the Vietnamese. You've heard me talk about uh, my friends up in northern Thailand who work with the Hill Tribe people. There's this incredible racism, institutional racism, between um, native born Thais, the Thai government, and the Aboriginal Hill Tribe people. And I think every country around the world has one of those stories. So I'm not just talking um, about white people. Um, And so this, the headlines that we're reading about Charlottesville just rip us apart so much because it's so close to home. But I just, I love the fact if we humble ourselves and remember that we're all foreigners and that in Acts 2, we've been given the mandate that we carry God with us. Have you guys read The Vancouver Sun in the last 14 hours? Because I just did before worship. Because you guys know that there was an anti-immigration rally that was scheduled for City Hall yesterday. I did not go because I was preparing this sermon (laughs) and because our family was showing up. Did anyone go? Totally cool. So I wanted to check out how it went. So for those of you who weren't up on your current news Uh, in the spirit of Charlottesville and all the stupidity that's going down there, someone had organized an anti-immigration, anti-Muslim rally to happen at City Hall yesterday in the afternoon. There were, according to the Facebook group, I just read this, there were two dozen people who were going to show up to this anti-immigration rally. There was also planned a peaceful counter-rally, 4,000 people showed up. <laughs> they had to shut down 12th, 12th Avenue in front of City Hall because there was too many people. Um, and and the police were there, of course, because um, cause things could get ugly, right? And there were about eight arrests made for like disturbing the peace, but things were surprisingly chilled it's also really important cuz you know this is canada that we allow people to have free speech no matter what stupidity they're saying that's that's important that's really important and so these protesters came armed with bagpipes and kazoo's and uh and there were some skirmishes but uh, i read the news article on my phone while i was sitting there and so whenever someone was standing up spouting some anti-immigration um they just fired up the bagpipes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, and there was also, and because the, the the head anti-immigration guy never showed up, and so there wasn't a formal, like, I'm going to stand up and have a rally and down with immigrants and down with Muslims. That never happened. Um, but instead, it was whoever was part whoever those 14 people were, they just sort of stood up and a little bit of free speech and it sort of ended up being somewhat civil or not so civil public debate. So there's this one story of this one guy who was talking about immigration reform and anti-immigration and the crowd wanted to let him speak free speech. Um, So what they did is while he was speaking, they just danced around him and showered him with blue glitter. (laughs) <laughs> I so wish I could have seen that. <laughs> that would have been so beautiful. Um, when have you been shown kindness or hospitality by a foreigner? Uh, once again, from my position as a um, white European male, I haven't been a foreigner very much in my life until I've actually traveled to other countries. But I want us to think out of the box a little bit on... So this is where I tie it all back to hospitality, see that? Managed to wrestle that from crashing and burning. Um, I I want us to think beyond countries and culture when I use this term foreigner. Um, Once again, Joanne and I were talking yesterday as I was trying to process this with her. Uh, Years ago, do you guys remember years and years ago when Youth with a Mission Vancouver bought that nursing home on Napier Street? Anyone remember the ridiculousness that that went through? So, the rest of you friends, our missions organization, we bought this old nursing home in East Vancouver years ago to use as our ministry location as Youth with a Mission. And it was a very difficult, long process. And ultimately, what needed to happen is we needed to go before the city and ask for a rezoning. And it was, uh, it crashed and burned in a very bad, ugly way. We never got it rezoned. Uh, we had a bunch of public meetings. Um, and it was really hurtful because our neighborhood that we'd served, that we'd helped out with Chili Wagon, that we'd been. I'm in the city hall meeting, this public forum, and these people next to our building who'd never met me, who knew nothing about Youth With Mission, stood up in front of the and City Council and flat out lied about us. And we lived literally 50 yards from their door. Like, Joanne and I lived in a basement suite of the back alley of the building. Um, and it was, it was horrible. It reinforced all my Gen X angst about the system and the man and how I've been betrayed by the meta-narrative of democracy. And yeah, it was not good for me. It really hurt. It hurt a lot. Um, and so our immediate neighbors, uh, through our backyard, there's this little row of... Uh, Uh, connected houses, and our immediate neighbors um, were this lesbian couple. And we got to know them because when Sophia, before Sophia was born, and I mean like 20 hours before Sophia was born, Joanne and I were walking up and down the sidewalk as she was laboring with Sophia. And the story goes that they were in in their house and could see us. Um, and they were in labor and they were having their first child together. And um, Sophia and their son were born within hours of each other, which we discovered just like a week later when we met on the sidewalk with us with our baby and this lesbian couple with their baby. And we developed this awkward friendship. Awkward only from me and Joanna because of my white male evangelical cultural baggage, and they showed us such kindness. They were so warm to us. I had no idea what to say to this pair of women with all my, well, like, when are we going to have to have the talk with Sophia that their son has two moms, you know, That talk never happened. It didn't need to happen because they loved us. I made them um, Thai pumpkin coconut curry soup. Um, And we developed this awkward friendship, which is to say, so when this city rezoning thing hit the fan, one of them walked up to me and hugged me and said, Wade, if a... Jewish, lesbian, and a white, dreadlocked Christian missionary. Yeah, I also had dreadlocks. I had a lot more hair (laughs) at the time. If we can be friends, then why can't everyone else? And she hugged me, and I started crying. And that kindness shown to me has stayed with me forever. So, whenever someone wants to get into some sort of debate about that, I just think of that moment. When someone wants to start talking to me about Muslims, I I don't even know what town we were in. I was in the middle of the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, like I mean nowhere in Morocco. We were prayer walking. Our job, our hosts gave us this map of Morocco. And they said, okay, here's where we are. I want to draw a visual. So they give us this map, right? We're up in the mountains. Here are the mountains. And they say, here's where we are right now. We want a prayer walk. What you guys are going to do is you're going to walk here. Here. Because the French made this map in 1950. And everything off the map, no one knows what's there. So we want you to walk off the map and pray and tell us what you see. And I'm like, really? That's so awesome. (laughs) Like, I get to walk off the map? That's my job today. It was so great. What we found was this tiny village. Couldn't speak. I can't speak a lick of Arabic. And this village had nothing but dust and goats. It wasn't even on the map. (laughs) And so this family just brought us in. We sat for three hours while they made this enormous feast. And we said absolutely nothing. And they fed me this huge meal. I was so humbled. When someone talks about Muslims, that's what I think of. So here's how I want to wrap up, I think, with this question. Can people experience the presence of God in your presence? This is what I want to grab from this passage and with the light of current events is that our mandate is that God lives in us and that we are all foreigners, every single one of us. And that the, the boundaries of God's grace, of who's in and who's out, have been thankfully blown apart. And if we choose, we're all in. And in the face of hatred and racism and ugliness, our job is to dance around and throw blue glitter really wish I had some blue glitter and that, and that the spirit of God could be blue glitter. That's what we're called to carry. And that this Canaanite woman was a foreigner. She was an outsider. I've never really been an outsider in my life. And I think it's really powerful for me to understand that. Um, and it's so, it's such a big deal because stories like Charlottesville wreck, they wreck the myth of who we are, right? That it it wrecks the myth of, of, of America where everyone's welcomed. Statue of Liberty, we welcome the huddle masses, right? When Charlottesville happened, that story is broken. We can't point the finger as Canadians. We we know all about our racist past. Um, <laughs> in British Columbia, women didn't have the right to vote until 1917. Here we are, the Dominion of Canada, one dominion under God. You know, look at us. We're so great. Yeah, whatever. Women couldn't vote until 1917. Chinese couldn't vote until 1947. Natives couldn't vote until 1960. Go Canada. So here's our homework. I want you to show hospitality to a foreigner. Note the quotes. Not talking about, I mean, could be people from a different culture. Oh, I got to tell you the story about Nargiza. I still have time. I have lots of time. So when Pax was in kindergarten, our son Pax, who's now uh, in grade three, Pax goes into kindergarten, and uh, because Sophia and Eleanor had been part of this homeschool program, we really didn't. Uh, which is part of the Vancouver School Board, we didn't have any experience with you know public school in Vancouver, right? And so it was kind of new to us. And so we end up at this school um, in North Burnaby uh, in our neighborhood. And just such a great little school and such a microcosm, such a multicultural United Nations microcosm of everything I love about the cultures of Vancouver, Uh, Not too many white kids in PAX's class. And so getting to know the other parents or, you know, being nice, saying hi, trying to do this in my stumbling awkwardness. Um, And there's this cute little girl in PAX's class. And um, her mom is Uzbeki. And uh, lived in Canada all of six weeks. and has three children, teenage son, uh, a daughter who's about 12, and then this little girl who is past his age. Um, Her husband is back in Uzbekistan, and she's navigating, now she can speak English, but she's navigating this culture on her own with three kids. I mean, I'm like, you poor woman, like, can we have you over, you know? Can I make you supper? What can I tell you about Canada? How can I help you out? So, so we try to make these social plans before we even get her and her family over to our house. She's already invited us to her house, of course. Totally beat me to the punch. Totally did it way better than I did. Cooked the big, awesome Uzbeki meal. Um, it was awesome, and it was, it was humbling. Because she was so much better at it than I was. (laughs) So I want you to show hospitality to a foreigner. Do you guys remember when we took off and went down to San Diego for nine months? We, uh, We ended up at a family's who had a fairly small house, had two bedrooms, They both were U.S. Navy, kind of foreigners to me, didn't really get their worldview. I would never enlist for the U.S. Navy. I have some serious personal political issues with that. And they opened their house to us. They moved their kids out of their bedroom out of the kids' bedrooms to sleep in their room so our whole family could stay in their house. And we lived with them for three months, two months? A month first. Yeah. Such dear friends of ours, such hospitality. They were complete foreigners to me. A, they were, honest to goodness, strangers. And they weren't strangers very long, just the massive hospitality I've been shown. So that story to say, I want us to think of this term foreigner a little different other than just skin color or nationality. Um, I'd really like you to read this blog post at Charlottesville. As I said, there's the URL. Um, It's in your bulletin. Um, I want you uh, I wonder if I want to do this or not. Basically, I heard God speak to me yesterday when I started listening to Tribe Called Red on YouTube. <laughs> and um, Tribe Called Red, for those of you who don't know, is a Canadian First Nations collection of DJs. I guess you could call them techno. They're more hip-hop if you want to get into subgenres of of, of electronic music. Did you know that there's this massive First Nations cultural expression through hip hop? I did not until last year. And it's pretty amazing. Last year, I was on my phone. I was in my kitchen, and I was thinking I did for Uh, National Aboriginal Day, I did a reflective exercise here, and I was looking for music, and I stumbled across Tribe Called Red, which I just should have asked Sophia, because she already knew about them. Um, And I found this track called Burn Your Village to the Ground, which is about as happy as it sounds. And I listened to it, and I was convicted, and I felt the Holy Spirit... In sorrow and in conviction, but God spoke to me. (laughs) I'm I'm well aware that I'm standing in church holding a microphone telling you to go on YouTube to listen to First Nations hip-hop because I grew up in a church where this was never allowed because there were very clear lines of who was in. And who was out. And we certainly didn't listen to hip-hop. And First Nations people were, first of all, there wasn't a single one in our church. And they would have only been welcomed if they looked as white as humanly possible. And if their music was as white as humanly possible. And I was taught horrible, racist things about the First Nations people. From a Christian perspective, we that's, we all know where that goes. Um, so you know what? We're going to listen to a Tribe Called Red today. We're going to do that right here in church. Um, are we going to do that right now? Yeah, let's do it right now. Yeah. This is burn your village to the ground. It's not happy. It's not supposed to be happy. That's the point. The disciples said to the Canaanite woman, she's bothering us. Make her shut up. Even if you don't like this, I really don't care. I think I need to hear this. Go for it. Yeah, it's three minutes long. Settle in. I'm also well aware that every time I preach, I turn it into some sort of AV club experience. Whatever. Sorry, not sorry at all, really. It is how I roll. also like the opportunity to use the church subwoofer as much as we can um, while we're listening take this time to pray for us yourselves reconciliation The First Nations, Charlottesville, Spain. You have taken the land which is rightfully ours. Years from now, my people will be forced to live in mobile homes and reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. We will sell our bracelets by the roadsides. You will play golf and enjoy hot hors d'oeuvres. My people will have pain and degradation. Your people will have stick shifts. The gods of my tribe have spoken. They have said, do not trust the pilgrims. And for all these reasons, I've
0: decided to scalp you and burn your village to the ground. Ah!
1: Um, the next part of your homework, uh, let's go back to the slide there, Nathan. Thank you so much. Uh, here we go. We'll get to these other tracks. Nice little leading. Guess what? Friends Reconciliation Walk is on September 24th. We'll be there. And uh, Tribe Called Red is actually playing at this music festival at that date. Tickets are at uh, westwardfest.com. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're not very cheap. Um, Tribe Called Red was um, Eleanor and Sophia's very first concert I ever took them to at the P&E last year. Um, I like this tension that I'm feeling right now. So it's 20 after 12, and now we're supposed to have a nice little wrap-up package to make us feel better. To, you know, sum up this sermon and all the whatever I've just thrown at you and my brokenness. Which is a very white thing to do. These problems of, of... of racism and hatred unfortunately aren't going away very long. But the hope is this. The hope is us as we go into the world, as we show hospitality and love to each other, as we bump up against people, as we bump up against people who may be different than us, who may disagree with us, who may think about the different than us, who we may completely disagree with, but we carry God with us. We carry blue glitter. So let's listen to some more Tribe Called Red, and I'm just going to sit down, and you're free to go, or I'll give it over to Karen because she's the pastoral assistant. Um, our next track, my friends, is one that I really like. Um, it's actually way happier than that first one, and it's called Electric Pow Wow Drum. And I love it. It's so great. Um, thank you for listening. Love you guys. How are you? Oh, no, no, go ahead and play that one. That's fine. No, this is great. This one's called Sisters. It's in celebration of First 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 Nations women. It's completely appropriate and awesome.
0: How are you? Back with you on Off The Hook Radio. It's DJ Buddha Blaze. You know, electric powwow is going on tonight. That's right, a tribe called Red. Are you going to check them out? Give me a call. Let me know. Let's get into the latest from nation to nation. This is Sisters.